0: Genesis chapter number 9, Genesis chapter number 9, and before we read our text this morning, I'd like to go ahead and let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord for his grace, for his presence, for his power, that God would do something special as a result of this message and this gathering here today. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that there is power in that name. We thank you that there is power in the blood of Christ. And Father, as we approach uh, this message today, as we uh, read the text, as we comment, as we try to help uh, people today, we pray now that the presence and power of the Holy Spirit would overshadow us. Uh, Father, you know in uh, my heart that the message today is not a message that I want to preach. Uh, Lord, I I would just as soon not go into uncomfortable territory, Uh, but Father, um, uh, I thank you, Lord, that you put a love in my heart for my flock and for people, and Lord, I I always uh, want that to be the determining factor as to what I preach, uh, the love of Christ and the love of people, not uh, the love of my own comfort. And so please, God, we pray that you would bless uh, this message and this service. Uh, open up hearts. We pray, Father, that this message would accomplish exactly what you want it to accomplish. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter number 9, and look with me starting in verse number 20. The Bible says, And Noah began to be an husbandman." And he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward. They saw not the nakedness, their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Obviously, something in this text, in this story went on other than just simply uh, two young men stumbling upon the nakedness of their father. This is an uncomfortable story. And it exemplifies the depravity of the human nature without God. I will say this, that there are many different doctrines and messages, different things as far as ethnic ethnicity, uh, social behavior, the nations. Certainly we could go into the horrors of the devil's drink from this passage of Scripture, But that's not our intent in opening with this text today. It's a very uncomfortable story. God doesn't hide it from us. But as you saw, He deals with it, He communicates it to us with the utmost discretion and modesty. Our God is a gentleman. As we read this story about a horrible thing, oh, let me introduce the title here today. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, Is There Healing for True Victims? I think that we spend so much time in modern culture talking about false victims, people who claim to be victims because maybe when they were a child, they stubbed their toe and Mama didn't, uh, didn't dote over them and told them to just toughen up and quit your crying. And there's certainly a lot of people today that make some kind of a frivolous claim into being a victim. And we deal with that so much that I know for me personally, sometimes I lose sight of the fact that in the day and age that we live in, there are way, way too many true Victims that have had horrible things done to them. We could also mention Lot, how that uh, his two daughters, what they did to him, and of course they got him drunk as well, and uh, that uh, that victimization, if you will, produced two pagan nations: the nation of Moab, the nation of Ammon, the Ammonites, and both of these were pagan nations that caused God's people a lot of harm, a lot of violence, a lot of corruption. We could also go to 2 Samuel chapter 13 and talk about Tamar and the victimization by her brother Amnon. Both Noah and Lot certainly bear some responsibility because of their willingness to get drunk. The impairment of drugs and alcohol, by the way, play an overwhelming part in the victimization of innocent lives. Tamar, David's daughter, on the other hand, was virtuous and did nothing that we know of to provoke what happened to her. Her life was permanently scarred, and God gives us no record of how he helped her through this devastation. And as I thought about how many people that have been devastated by victimization of others, I searched my heart and I searched my my memory and my understanding of the Scripture. And I thought, God, where is a passage of Scripture where you outline a process in how you helped, uh, say, young ladies like Tamar overcome what was done unto them? And at first, I found myself kind of scratching my head. Why could something like horrible like this happen to someone, and God not direct uh, directly deal with it in the Scripture? No direct example is cited on how God helped the victims deal with the aftermath of their victimization. And so, while I don't have an absolute passage that's relevant to this. I'll tell you what I do have for you this morning. And that is I have an entire Bible right here that is God's Word and it tells us everything we need to know about the nature of our Heavenly Father. And while God doesn't spell out the details of what happened in the aftermath, I can promise you that God did indeed help these victims. Because I read in the Word of God in Psalm 147, And verse number 3, the Bible says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. When we have hurts, when we have wounds, God is a gracious God. He is the great physician. He is the comforter. And there is a balm in Gilead. There is healing and there is help to be found in God. Because of my understanding of human nature, and listen, I, I, as a pastor, as a Christian, uh, I could literally, if it wasn't so imprudent, if it wouldn't be inappropriate, I could talk about hundreds of incidents that I've been privy to, that I've, uh, that I've had to play a part in ministering and dealing with the aftermath of victimizations. But I also know from personal experience that every one of those situations was so unique. And that's why I can't help but wonder that God didn't spell out the details because He knows human nature and He knows the circumstances. You can't just categorize one form of abuse as every form of abuse and the solution for healing Is certainly different from one person to the next. You know, there's not one, there is not one treatment for cancer. There's multiple forms of chemotherapy. There's some people that chemotherapy wouldn't help, it requires radiation. There's other people that require a different type of uh, immune therapy and so forth. Every disease is unique to the human body. And I believe that God knows that. And so while I scratched my head at first and I thought, God, what do I say to people? People are hurting and people are devastating and they need the help of God's word. What in your word can I give them? And the Lord told me the same thing that he tells you as a victim. He says, trust me, I'll help you through it. The Holy Spirit and the principles of God's word. And we'll say more about that Here in time to come. Now, having introduced the topic today, and forgive me for being note bound today, because of discretion, I certainly don't want to go too extemporaneous and uh, inadvertently say something that would be inappropriate. I have some important prefaces for today's message. Please don't do what most people do and ignore the preface. These are very important prefaces, and please get these before we even get into the meat and potatoes of today's message. Number one, this is a message that will talk about things that no one wants to talk about. We don't even like knowing that these things exist in our society. I promise you, I promise you beforehand that all details personal knowledge that I'm privy to in past incidents and so forth, I promise you that these will be omitted or left extremely vague and general. I understand that we have all different types of people, ages of people, from children up to old people here today. I am not oblivious to that fact here today. And so you may ask the question, well, preacher, why don't you just take it into counseling in your office? I'll tell you why, because 9 out of 10, or maybe even 99 out of a 100 of people that need a message like this, they're not going to go in an environment where they get the help that they need. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 11, the Bible says, and have no fellowship, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. We will be vague in general, just like God was when He tells the stories of victimization in His holy word. My second preface today is we want to express our compassion to anyone Listening, who relives hurtful memories because of today 's message, it is not our intention, and so I have compassion toward you and I hope that you will keep in mind that perhaps maybe your discomfort today may be a provision for someone else 's healing. Healing injuries and illnesses often require uh, Often requires discomfort in diagnosis and treatment. There's sometimes when we go to the physician to get healing, there, is, there are things that we have to go through that are dis, uh, uncomfortable in order to get the help that we need. Number three, there are so many people bearing burdens from various forms of abuse, abuse that I feel it is necessary to address it publicly. By the way, the Me Too movement. Uh, it would be okay if it were not rooted in the feminist movement. It has created more false accusations and manipulation than it has justice. Don't forget, there are some really wicked women out there who unashamedly use their appeal for gain and then feign themselves as victims when they don't get what they want. And so that's the reality of it here today. My fourth, my fourth remark by way of preface is God makes it clear in Leviticus 18 and 20 that the things we are talking about today are an abomination. Sadly, most victims today are children. Doesn't mean that all victimization is children, but sadly a lot of it, most of it today is children. In my opinion... Our law, let me say this, in my strong opinion, our laws are way too lenient today. Perpetrators demonstrate a repeat offense of over 90%. Listen, they can repent, they can get right with God, they can get saved, but the nature of their sin, to be quite honest with you, puts them in no man's land. As a pastor, I've had to deal with situations. People come and visit the church and say, Pastor, this is my past. I got saved. I got right with God. I need to know, am I welcome in your church? And while I'm going to confess to you, that's a hot potato. That is not a situation that any caring pastor wants to deal with. I'll tell you the way that I deal with it is I say, Well, because of your past, we simply cannot do anything for you to help you in, uh, on church property. And the reason being, it's not that I have no compassion for the repentant sinner. It's that I have to have more compassion toward the innocent children. And it's a hard situation to deal with. And I will say this, someone who is truly repentant will totally understand that point of view. If they bristle, well, there you have it. And so I want to talk to you now. Now, after those four very important uh, prefaces, I want to talk to you about the healing of deep hurt and victimization. Uh, this is not an end all be all message, and I am not an expert. I am not a psychologist, and my intent today is not to even pretend or play psychologist. But I do want to give you some helpful things that, uh, even though it's uncomfortable to talk about, my hope and my prayer is that God would richly bless this time of focusing on a very needed topic and perhaps maybe do something miraculous in the heart of somebody that is bearing the burden of victimization and uh, if nothing else, throw out a field of fire, some napalm, if you will, to any um, to any hidden perverts that might be lurking among us. Just potentially, folks. I'm not aware of anything. Trust me, if I was aware of anything, um, they would know it. So, number one, to the victim... This is this is what always comes up. It's the first thing. Why did God allow it to happen? Now, you're looking at a man that, I mean, I look back at my past and most of the things that I thought, you know, were victimization of me, I look back and I go, I'm such a fool. I'm so, such an idiot to think that the things that happened to me are so horrible. I look back at some of my whining and complaining and criticism of my childhood and the home that I grew up in. And I got to say, I am ashamed of myself for being such a whiner because I've ministered to some people and I've heard stories of people and I just shake my head and I go, how in the world do they handle it? You have compa- You have my compassion because some people have just been through some things that it's like, wow, if, if you're still in church, if you're still even listening to preaching, I say, God bless you praise the Lord for that. Why did God allow it to happen? Well, I'm going to explain some things to you here this morning that aren't extremely theological or deep, but they're certainly filled with an understanding of the nature of God and the nature of the sin-cursed world that we live in. Number one, if God intervened for you, He would have to intervene for all wickedness. Have you ever thought about that? God is a holy, a just, and a totally consistent God with no respect of persons. And if God were to intervene for you, He'd have to intervene for everyone. You say, well, why doesn't He then? Because then He would be unholy. Because he told Adam point blank, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. And mankind died spiritually. Romans chapter 5 says that sin entered into the world. And God said, God warned us that it wouldn't happen. Just like God, just like your your parents said to you, don't touch that stove eye or you're going to get burned. And what did you do? You touched it. So don't go blaming Adam and Eve. You would have done the same thing if God would have put you to the same test. If God would have intervened for your situation, then he would have to play helicopter father and he'd have to hover over every single human life. I'll say more about that in a moment. It's kind of like this. It's like, God, I wish that you would have intervened And stop me from being hurt. But I don't want you to stop me from hurting anyone. I want you to let me do what I want. But don't let anybody else do what they want. It's kind of the same mentality. (laughs) I'm going to step on some toes here. It's kind of the same mentality of people who are just absolutely sure that their dog is in heaven. Because they loved it. Now, the neighbor's dog that they didn't like, that dog doesn't go to heaven. And, and where the system of, where do you divide that out? I don't know, because, I mean, wolves are dogs. So what, do do wolves go to heaven too? Listen, if all of the creatures, and if if, if God let your dog into heaven, he'd have to let everybody's dog into heaven. And guess what? Heaven wouldn't be heaven, it would be a dog kennel. or a cat kennel, or a hamster kennel. Do you get the point? What I'm trying to say, I'm not saying this to be cruel. I'm saying this to try to demonstrate a point of how sometimes as human beings we can look at our suffering through very selfish eyes and not through the eyes of God, that God is a holy God and heaven is a holy place. That God has a plan and a purpose, and it doesn't revolve around who we love or what we like. It doesn't revolve around us at all. So, number two, if God micromanages others, then He's got to micromanage you. And by the way, if He did that, you'd still be mad at Him. It's like, God, once again, God, smother everybody around me. Don't let them... Treat me any way I don't want to be treated, but leave me alone and don't micromanage me. Number three, the purpose of man is for God's pleasure. He warned us of the effects of sin, but He gives man something that He didn't give to the animal creation. He gives us a free will. And think about it from God's perspective. If God were to respond to every false accusation that everyone ever made against him, why, God, did you allow this to happen? And God were to start intervening and micromanaging the human race, how, pray tell, would the human race bring any honor and glory to a holy creator? He wouldn't. I mean, let me ask you a question. Those of you that are parents, do you find more pleasure in your children than you would if you were in a puppet show, and let's say you've got a puppet on your hand, and you're playing in that puppet show, and you go, Oh, puppet, I love you. You give me so much pleasure and honor and glory. No, the puppet is just doing whatever you want it to do. God put, God created man for his pleasure. And if he had to micromanage us to keep us from hurting one another, then number one, why did he waste his breath in warning the human race to begin with? And number two, he would be better off to just wipe mankind off the face of the earth, which he's capable of doing, by the way. And he could wipe us off the face of the earth and still be good and still be holy and still be a God of justice. We would get exactly what we deserve. But no, God is merciful and so there are many, many things that God allows the human course of this evil, wicked world to, to run its course. I should say, and He does everything that He can to provide redemption and wisdom and righteousness. He gives us holy commandments and holy laws. He gives us the He gives us everything, all of the tools that are needed to live right and for others around us to live right and to have a righteous society, we have the tools here in the Word of God. But mankind doesn't really want that, now do we? Number four, blaming God for our problems is attributing wickedness to Him. It is selfish. It is satanic. And it only hurts yourself and your loved ones. If you think that you being mad at God is going to ruin God's day, you're like the kid that holds his breath and says, I'm going to hold my breath till I pass out because you won't give me my way. As a parent, you go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I know as a parent, I'm glad my kids never did that because I would have been exactly like my own parents. I said, okay, let's, let's watch this. This will be fun. Hey, let me go pop some popcorn. Hey, hold it a little longer. The popcorn's not done. The microwave hasn't dinged yet. You know, it's like, go ahead. You're, you're not hurting me. You're only hurting yourself. And when people get angry and blame God, them, I I, I mean, I say this, maybe you and your loved ones are the ones that get hurt, not a holy God. And so there's some helpful, yes, I didn't give you any Bible verses, but what I just said is chock full of Bible theology. Number two, Why do people victimize others? It's a complex question. And I'm just going to go into a sampling of some of the reasons. And you say, what does it matter? Why? Well, I'll tell you what, because I know the people that I've talked to, this has been a very hard pill to swallow if they have been devastated, victimized by someone to try to make sense, why did they do that to me? Number one, this is a universal principle by way of observation and that is hurting people hurt people. It's almost like the dog that is injured and you go and try to care for it and it starts trying to bite you and nip at you because why? It's hurting and it doesn't know any better. It doesn't understand what's going on inside of it. It doesn't know why it's hurting, and it doesn't understand that you're trying to help it. It's only hurting others because it's hurting itself. Victimized people often become perpetrators, and that's usually men by way of gender. And by the way, no matter what The modern media and education system tells you men are men and women are women, they're different. They're very different. I'm just appalled at some of the cabinet nominees from our current administration, people who don't, I mean, think that it's okay for a three-year-old in kindergarten to decide, oh, I think that I don't want to be a boy anymore, I want to be a girl. Oh, they just naturally thought of that, didn't they? They woke up one morning and said, Hey, mommy, daddy, I think I'd like to be a boy. No, it doesn't. They were corrupted. Those, no, 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 no kid thinks like that. Somebody put that thought in their mind. Parents, protect your children from that. It's nonsense. Those who don't become perpetrators, generally show some form of cruelty or withdrawal from their loved ones. They are subconsciously, I think the majority of it is subconsciously, reacting to an inner hurt. They don't mean to, they just simply can't help it. Number two, someone has made them feel powerless. Victimizing others is the only time they feel in control and powerful because someone in their past exercised power and control over them in a horrendous way and then they just end up reliving and they, that's the only way that they ever feel empowered is by perpetrating the same things that happen to them. It's a twisted sense of normal. It is a perverted form of bullying. Number three, some people are just simply wicked. That's just the fact of the matter. There's no, you, you can't justify it, you can't blame anything that happened to them. The Bible talks about there are just some people that go astray from the womb and they're just mean and they're evil, and they're wicked. I can't explain it. I don't know what the cause is other than just the sin nature that's within. I can't explain it, but it's just simply the fact of the matter. I I heard someone tell me about um, a young father who had a, a close friend. And you know what this close friend said to him? He said, you're lucky you have girls. That's wicked. Where does that come from? That is just pure, simple, plain old wickedness. And then number four, some people develop lust through pornography, through um, literature, and so forth, and become very perverted, unnatural affection, the Bible refers to it as. And so number three, this is certainly one of the most important things that we'll talk about today, is what do I do to heal the hurt? Well, first of all, number one, don't expect healing to mean that you're no longer affected. Just the other night, I um, I was uh, watching some TV and I was watching some of the things that TV was made for. How to forge knives out of a piece of metal. How to catch big, huge tuna. You know, stuff that TV's designed for. And I'm always watching that. And of course, I, there are ladies in my house that stuff like that doesn't interest them. And so I was feeling a little guilty for... Um, for hogging the agenda. And so uh, my daughter's sitting at the couch, and I'm scrolling through. I'm thinking, okay, I'll, what, what do you want to watch? I'm scrolling through, and there's a program on the the menu there that says, My Aching Feet. And I thought, and my, and my daughter says, yeah, I'd like to watch that. I said, okay. So I clicked on it. I'm thinking that it's going to be promoting insoles or some special kind of shoe. Oh, no, 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 no. No, this is a program where they show people that have horrible, horrible deformations or injuries to their feet and they show them doing surgery on it. And I'm like, listen, I grew up dairy farming. I I mean, there are, I I got a rock solid constitution and I'm, I'm like going, I'm like, whoa, I'm, I'm freaking out over this. It's like they're showing, you know, tissue and bone and all. It's like they're, oh, my goodness. It, it was just literally horrible. And so um, I glance up at it. Oh, it's horrible. Glance up, it's horrible. And next thing you know, hmm. And then after a little while, it's like, hmm, that's interesting. Now, I don't think I'm going to watch it on purpose. But, you know, they showed some things that are really quite good illustrations to what I'm talking about here today. There was, um, I saw one situation where this lady, her toes, I mean, looked like they were, they looked like they were crocheted. I mean, this they're going all different directions, overlapping one another. And um, after the surgery, I mean, listen, you, you this was not a very attractive foot. After the surgery, it was still not a very attractive foot. But you know what? She could walk without pain. I'd say that's pretty good, wouldn't you? There was another young man who was born with six toes. And one of the toes was actually shared the same bone, and then it kind of went out as a wishbone. And they showed taking and cutting off and grinding one of those bones and giving him just... Five toes. And they showed the after picture. And it still just doesn't look good. But he could walk without pain. And so that's a good thing. You know, sometimes, folks, things happen to us that healing doesn't mean that we are no longer affected by what has happened to us. Rejoice in function, not in perfection. Because really every single human being has some type of a scar in our life that we have to bear. And yours may be, um, yours may be a a much higher level than someone else's, but all of our wounds, all of the burdens that we bear are relative to us. And so we cannot compare our wounds and our scars. It would be unwise to do so. Number two, relinquish your rights to anger, your right to a victim mentality, and your right to vengeance. Having the right doesn't make it right, or it certainly doesn't make it expedient. Bitterness is like punishing yourself and the ones you love instead of the person who victimized you. And so if you want healing and help, then you need to spend some time, just like John, just like Mary, at the foot of the cross, looking at Jesus. And you need to remember what Jesus said when he was victimized. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There is power in the example and in the cross of Jesus Christ in order to find forgiveness in your heart. You can't do it on your own, But I promise you, the grace of God is sufficient if you really, in your will, want to forgive the person that has hurt you, you can forgive them. That doesn't mean you have to ever trust them, doesn't mean you ever have to be close to them, doesn't mean you ever have to be around them or speak to them. But in your heart, before God, don't, be sure to relinquish your rights to anger And unforgiveness. Number three, don't play the blame game. Oh, that is such human nature. Don't play the blame game. Nobody wins at the blame game but the devil. Nobody but him will win the blame game. Number four, my fourth point's a little bit wishy-washy. Forgive me in advance. I want to talk to you a little bit about confrontation. It is not always wrong to confront or even report the person who victimized you. By the way, some states don't have a statute of limitations for certain types of abuse. So that's worth knowing. I believe personally that people, that perpetrators who victimize children, that, um, well, I, I'm not going to tell you what I think should happen to them, But certainly in the society that we live in today, at the very least, they should be imprisoned. And um, not only as... People say, well, that's not a very good place for correction. I don't care about correcting them. They need to be punished and everybody else needs to be protected. And the victims need to know that the law... And authorities, whether it's parents or whatever, or a church, that they cared enough about me to make sure that the bad guy or the bad lady got put in jail for what they did for me, to me. Now, confrontation. Once again, wishy-washy. I understand. This may or may not be the best course of action for you. And it certainly has potential to cause you further hurt. But for some, it might help healing. Once again, I say it again, every case is different. If you are hurting and you are devastated and you can't seem to get past that and it is, I mean, it is defining who you are, then pray for wisdom. But don't be controlled by fear. Keep in mind that society is filled with malicious false accusations. And by the way, a false accuser, especially the nature of the things that we're talking about here today, a false accuser is just as wicked as a perpetrator. Number five, commit your life to God. God is your help. Don't hide from Him. Run to Him. People who have been hurt end up having a difficult time trusting anyone, including God. God has never let you down. He will never betray your trust. He will never fail you. You need God desperately in your life if you are hurting Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 12 says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Go run unto God. He is your source for help. I'm sure that people with more wisdom and understanding than I do, could offer you many other things. But I know that a lot of things that are going on in our culture today that are supposed to promote healing are filled more with psychobabble than they are Bible principles. And so be careful, be cautious. There are biblical counselors out there, there are psychiatrists and psychologists that some of them can offer some help. But I can't lump them all together because every... Listen, pastors can help. But that doesn't mean that every pastor is going to help. I know situations where pastors didn't know how to deal with people and they were unethical and they took somebody's horrible wound and they just made it worse. So you can't lump everybody in the same category. There are people who can help. You may need to talk to somebody. You may need to find somebody that can listen. Sometimes taking a feeling... And communicating it into words can take those emotions and turn them into concepts. And once it's a concept, you can grasp it, and sometimes that just helps. Sometimes just understanding is all that we need in order to pick ourselves up and move on and deal with our scars and be able to function in life. My last point, and this is in the line of help, is just some practical advice. And some of this is from my experience as a pastor. This first one is, um, I believe it's important. Number one, help the minister who is doing the perpetrator's funeral. I can't imagine the pain that I have unknowingly and inadvertently caused and the harm to the gospel of Jesus Christ by standing up in front of a congregation and eulogizing a perpetrator, talking about what a wonderful Christian, what a wonderful church member that they were, while there are children or relatives or grandchildren sitting at that funeral service that have been victimized by that person. I cannot imagine the harm to the gospel. And just when I find out about stuff afterward, I just go, Do they not understand that the purpose of the pastor and the Word of God and the eulogy is to try to comfort people and to help people and unknowingly... I mean, a pastor can only go by what he knows. Hey, you say, "What? Well, I, I don't feel like just airing all that dirty laundry. You don't have to go into specifics. Just give the minister a heads up. Hey, preacher, this guy, this person hasn't always been the Christian that you know him to be. Okay, fine. That might keep the minister who's supposed to be representing God... Of being somebody that's basically just sticking a sharp stick in that wound and making, and just bringing back pain that I can't even imagine how I've made people feel not knowing what I found, would find out afterward. Help the pastor out a little bit. Number two, beware of false guilt. Satan does not show compassion toward human suffering. He piles on you you would think you would think well you know the devil's going to leave me alone because I mean, look at what all I've went through no you you you're weak and and satan as a roaring lion he's looking for the weak one in the in the herd the wounded one in the herd and he's the one you're going after so beware of false guilt the Bible says in Revelation 12, verse number 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. False guilt is a powerful tool that Satan uses. And for some of you that maybe you're not a victim... But you know a victim, or someone in your family, or a close friend, or maybe even a parent that something happened that you just, you just didn't expect it to happen. People who were close to the victim and the perpetrator often feel guilt or remorse for not seeing the signs and intervening. Satan will make much of that. Now, if a person turns a blind eye and does nothing and knows that something's going on, well, that's another story. And that person needs to repent and ask God's forgiveness as well as ask the victim's forgiveness. But listen, suspecting something is not enabling. Listen, we can't go around and every time somebody gives us a bad vibe or something like that, we can't just assume that our bad vibe that there's something there. That would be, I mean, can you imagine if, you know, human interaction, if everybody was responding to their gut feelings all the time? No, Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. We cannot be held accountable for that which we cannot know. I've been duped many times. had this guy years ago. I thought, man, I thought this guy is all sold out to God. He, He kept wanting to go out and knock on doors. We went on visitation every week, and I would mentor this guy and talk to him. It's like, wow, this guy, God's rescuing this guy, only to find out that he was doing penance for something that was going on in his home. Made me feel like just an idiot. The devil started to make me feel guilty. But I had to get past that and I had to say, look, I can't live by feelings if those feelings aren't consistent with the truth. So beware of false guilt. Number three, this is a practical advice here, prevention is a lot of hassle and a lot of cost. Prevention might mean that you have to make some sacrifices, Prevention of something happening to our children might mean. Have you ever wondered? I, I know that wickedness toward children—it's—it's it's nothing new, but it is off the charts compared to the past. You don't find any samples of it in the Word of God. You know why that is? Is because there was a day and age where little Johnny and little Sally never left Mama's side they were always in mama's view not in today's culture no we stick them in we you know we let we let grandparents raise them aunts uncles uh we put them in daycare we send them off to public school uh, you ought to talk to some uh dss uh counselors and find out what goes on in public school at first second and third grade level in the restrooms I ain't lying to you and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not embellishing it. And by the way, I'm not talking about New York City. I'm talking about Statesville. I'm telling you, prevention is a lot of hassle. It's a lot of expense. We may have to change our lifestyle. We may have to make all kinds of changes. But listen, the protection, the, the hassle and cost of protection is nothing compared to the aftermath if something happens. Nothing. Not even not even comparable. Protect your children at all cost. Listen, I thank God for my wife who has the heart of a mama to protect our children. I, I can remember in a church that we were in in the past and... A lot of people our age, and, and I can remember hearing little people say stuff like about our kids, like, oh, are you going to bubble wrap them? If that's what it takes. Oh, yeah. Some of those people that had a little snide, smart aleck remarks um, years later now, uh, I'd like to pull them aside and say, how'd your way work? Tell tell me about your children. Uh, They probably wouldn't want to talk about it. By the way, if, um, and I already said this, but I think it's worth repeating, if you are perverted, be it known to you that you are in a place that is going to do everything to help the victim and bring justice to the perpetrator. We're not going to sweep something under the carpet for sake of protecting the good name of our ministry. No, we're going to protect the good name of our ministry by making sure that you go to jail if you survive. Oh, you're blowing smoke, preacher. Try me. You think you're getting away with your wickedness. Luke chapter 17 and verse number 2, Jesus said, It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Red letters in my Bible, gentlemen. Conclusion. Some of you praise the Lord most important advice I can give is that every situation is unique. There are different levels of victimization, different causes. Healing has universal principles, but just like surgery, every patient has different reactions, different blood types, different chemistry, different health, everything's different. Only the Holy Spirit can guide you through the healing process. There are no definitive answers. There are no five-step formulas for your healing. But there is healing because one thing is for certain, the answer lies in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, verse number 4, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. The Lord Jesus was victimized by the people that He came to help. Jesus came to help us with our sin problem all sin problems. He doesn't offer quick fixes or easy cures. Total healing from sin and its effects are not going to come until the rapture. You know, every single one of us could make a case that we're damaged goods because none of us can be what we're supposed to be. But we will one day, praise the Lord. Listen, if you have been bearing this burden of hurt and It's just been so part of you. Rest assured that one of these days you're going to be completely, totally liberated from that burden and isn't heaven going to be sweet? It's going to be wonderful. He provides us the blood sacrifice that brings redemption, propitiation, makes us favorably inclined before God. Hey, listen, people... Hurt me and people betrayed me and people did that. People that should have loved me devastated my life, but not God. God looks down upon us and He sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees us as precious because of the propitiation that comes through Jesus Christ. He is our everlasting high priest. He makes intercession for us. He sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. He gives us more than a formula. He gives us Himself. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Isn't it interesting that Peter Pen this phrase, casting all of, Peter was a fisherman. Hey, listen, what do you do when you cast? Have you ever, have you ever went fishing? Now he's casting nets, but we go out and we, we cast bait out there. You know, what do you do? You go out there and you cast and you reel it in. You go, okay, we're done. No, you don't just cast one time. You know, sometimes there are hurts and there are burdens that we cast them upon the Lord and we get some relief. And then we wake up the next morning and it's back. God will never get weary of us casting our burden upon Him because He does care for us. Whether you feel like it or not, you have His Word on it. Get alone with God. Cast your burden upon him. Keep praying until you feel he has heard you. None of this, now I lay me down to sleep. You find an alone place. You get with God in private and you start pouring out your heart to God and you get real. You get transparent. You tell God what's in your heart and then you listen to God what's on his heart. When the burden returns, cast it on him again and again and again. You may need to find a friend or a confidant to talk to, but most important, bring your hurt to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you feel you are impaired in life, do the best you can. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. If you need a walker, use one. Just keep on going with God. And I promise you, He will get you through it. He may not make everything the way that it should have been or ought to have been. But I will say this, He is a God that provides help and healing no matter what has happened to you. The answer is in Jesus Christ.